There was, there was an address given by the uh, Illinois senatorial candidate and future president of the United States, uh, Abraham Lincoln, on June 16, 1858, at what was then the uh, Illinois state capitol in Springfield. And Lincoln said this, and I, th- I think probably everybody here has heard this quote before, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do, expect, I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. And... Um, you know, that was, that, was a, that was a time of uh, great conflict and, and strife within our country. Now, throughout the, uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's this, uh, this cycle of, of work, you know, successful work, and, and then opposition. So they get some work done, they'd be opposed. And, you know, you'd like to think that if we're doing God's will, you know, doing His work, his way, we, we should have smooth sailing, right? We, we, all have, we all, whether we want to admit it or not, kind of have that expectation. You think that once the conflict was resolved, you'd be able to continue unhindered by the, the people who have made it their job to, uh, to oppose you and stop your work. Uh, you know, the people were, were unified in this work. When, when we have opposition from the outside, we tend to pull together, right? And, we, and we've, we've seen that here. But now we come to Nehemiah 5, Nehemiah chapter 5, and we see a new problem. We, we see some internal conflict. You know, this is uh, potentially more serious than the conflict that they had experienced before from uh, Sanballat and, and Tobiah. You know, this, this time the, the threat is from within. It's, it's brother against brother, so to speak. And we, we see the makings of a, of a house divided. And this, this threatens the nation of Israel. It, it hinders the work that's being done in, in Jerusalem. And... Uh, what I'd like to do is, is first look at the problem and then the solution as, as it's laid out in the text. So please read with me in your Bibles from Nehemiah chapter 5. We'll start with verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there are, were those who said, with our sons and daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as are their children, yet we are forgoing, or excuse me, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, You are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, 
We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold into the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and they could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of the Lord, our God, to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending money and grain. Let's abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and the the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We we praise you that uh, you have uh, seen fit to uh, give us these these lessons and direction and instruction from your word. Lord, as as we uh, as we look into this this passage, may you uh, touch our hearts. Transform us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So unity is required. Unity is is required to get this work done. Unity among God's people requires obedience to God's command. It requires sacrificial giving to other fellow believers and a, a solid commitment to each other. Uh, let's, let's first look at the problem. What is the problem here? You know, it, goes down to, uh, it comes down to disobedience. The people are, are disobeying God's commands. There's, there was a movie a few years ago called The Perfect Storm. 
And in this movie, which is uh, supposedly based on a true story, the uh, the captain and crew of a commercial fishing boat in New England experiences the uh, the confluence of um, multiple issues that ended up with the loss of the ship and the crew. You know, there, there were there were a lot of things going on here. It was late in the season. They fished further out to sea than than they normally would have. The the ice machine for keeping the for preserving the fish broke down. So they had to return to port, but they had to go through a northern front, which was colliding with a hurricane. The radio antenna broke, and so you know, really anything and everything that could possibly go wrong did go wrong. Well, we have the perfect storm here in Nehemiah. You know, look at look at all the factors which lead up to this point with this this internal struggle. There's there's a famine in the land. There's there's threats coming from all sides externally. Uh, commerce has been hindered, hindered. Since people are working on the walls, they're they're not working to uh, produce food or earn money. The the people are tired. They're they're stressed. The uh, the Jews who are living in the uh, surrounding area are are discouraging the ones who are doing the work in Jerusalem. So rather than helping, they're, they're hindering. And so the chapter begins with, now there was, a, there was this outcry. There's this outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. We're, we're starving. We need food. You know, we, have, we have all these kids and we can't feed them. We're going into debt. We're mortgaging everything. Our houses, our, our fields, our vineyards. Uh, we're, we're racking up debt. And things are getting worse. Uh, we're having to borrow money to pay our taxes to the king. Does this sound like uh, maybe maybe some of you guys can, can relate to this? I don't know. But, by the way, do you remember in uh, Ezra 4, the adversaries uh, told the king that if the Jews came and rebuilt they would they would refuse to pay their taxes well that apparently is not true these these guys are paying their taxes but they're going into debt to do so and here's the heartbreaking thing you know and this must have been the hardest thing to bear they're crying out we're having to sell our children into slavery just to survive and the enslavers are our own people you know our own brothers some of our daughters are, are already slaves you know, everything that we have, including our children, are just slipping through our fingers. They're saying, you know, something's got to give. Now, the law given to Moses has, has certain principles that uh, we can see are, are come into play here. They are, first of all, it's okay to loan money. It's okay to charge interest, but it's not okay to charge interest to your, your fellow Jews. God commands that that doesn't happen. It's, it's okay to have slaves, but it's not okay to enslave a fellow Jew. This, this is spilled out in Leviticus 25, 35 through 42. It said, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your guide, your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants whom I bought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. So God makes it pretty clear what the expectations are. And so many of these people are, are disobeying God's, God's uh, law. You know, God, God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And he, he did not do that in order for them to be enslaved by their own people. You know, this, this was especially egregious to God. They're disobeying him, just straight out disobeying. They're disrespecting God. They're, they're disrespecting their, their brothers and sisters. They're taking advantage of them for their own gain. So this is the problem. It's disobedience. It's a lack of uh, fear of God. You know, people driving others into poverty for, for their own gain. Uh, clearly in violation of God's law. Let's, let's look at what Nehemiah did. This is the solution. There's something I want to notice here. Uh, notice that Nehemiah includes himself in, within the, the group of people who are part of the problem. I think that's important for us to see. Uh, he, he takes personal responsibility. He he, he claims his, his share of, of the guilt. You know, verse 10, he says, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Was, was he charging interest? Was he disobeying God's law? I don't think so. You notice in the earlier verses, he, he's saying, You, you are exacting interest. And now he shifts into using we and us. He says, Let us abandon. This, this exacting of interest. So he's, you know, he's sharing in the guilt of the people, though I don't, I don't believe Nehemiah was, was violating God's law. First thing Nehemiah does here, though, is he, he examines himself. He, he takes time to uh, contemplate, it says. You know, do, he, he's doing what Jesus says to do, right? Take the, take the log out of your own eye before you uh, look at the, the speck in your brother's eye. And even though he wasn't in violations of God's law, violation of God's law, you know, he, he asked himself, how can I do better? My brothers and sisters here are, are suffering. You know, is, is there anything that I'm doing which is contributing to that? And he says yes. He's, he's within the law, but he realized that uh, the, 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 the debt was too much for them to bear. You know, we're, we're usually pretty good. We're, I think we're very skilled at, at recognizing other people's faults, are we not? Uh, you know, when, when somebody else does something wrong, it's, it's very obvious to us. But uh, we, I think we all have blind spots when it's, when it's us. So it's very important what he did to contemplate, to, to think. Maybe to pray, God, what, what am I doing here? that may be contributing to the problem. Um, 
And maybe his part was very small, but he, he owns it. He takes responsibility for it. Uh, Ken Sandy, the guy who uh, started Peacemakers Ministries, I, I love what he says. He says that um, you know, we, need to take, we need to see our own part in any conflict and take responsibility for it, even if, um, even if we're only 1% responsible for the conflict we are 100% responsible for that 1%. That's a good point. And, and we're going to see how uh, Nehemiah deals with, with his 1% at, at the end of the chapter. You know, he, he realized that perhaps he could help. You know, he, went and bu- he went above and beyond. He sacrificed his, uh, his own goods for, for the people. So in verse 6, Nehemiah becomes very angry, it says. He becomes very angry about what's happening. He doesn't immediately lash out at the offenders. He took, he took time. He took counsel with himself. You know, think, think rationally. Think biblically. Seek wisdom. Contemplate what solution would, would honor God and honor my brothers and sisters. You know, this is, this is good biblical wisdom here. And what, what does James say? He says, let every man be slow, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah's next step is uh, to confront the offenders directly. He, he confronted the guilty parties. He, he calls an assembly... He reminds them that uh, God's people have always helped each other. God has required it. God has helped them. When, when, his, when their Jewish brothers and sisters were, were enslaved in the Gentile nations, what did the Jews do? They, they redeemed their brothers and sisters who were, were slaves. They, they purchased them back. Anyway, uh, now, yeah, they're doing it to each other. He says, you're taking advantage of your own family here. They, they are poor. You're driving them further into poverty. You give them a loan. You charge them interest. You know, this is, this is so in violation of God's law. You know, the, the rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. Nehemiah says, this is not good. Kind of an understatement, Right? But he says, you're not walking in the fear of the Lord by doing this. This, this is an affront to God himself. You know, it's, it's, it's bad enough that you're doing this to your brothers, but you're, you're doing this, you're offending God here. And look at his two-part appeal. He says, uh, ought you not walk in fear of the Lord or our God? You know, he's, he's appealing to their sense of reason, of what they should know. You know, our Lord is the mighty God, the creator of the universe. He made us. He revealed himself to us. He gave us the law. He delivered us from slavery in Egypt. He guided guided us through the wilderness. He gave us this land, the promised land. We messed up. We got sent away in exile. He brought us back. And now what are we doing? Ought we not walk in the fear of the Lord? Should we not respect what he's done for us? You know, this is a pretty obvious question. I think the answer is, is right there. It's yes, of course. You know, we, we need to revere God. We need to live in, in awesome 
awe and reverence of him. Yeah, we need to live in utter obedience to his commandments. And so, you know, the implied question is, so why are we not doing this? Why are we not living in fear of the Lord? Why are we not walking in the fear of God? And the second part of his appeal is to prevent the taunts of the nation, our enemies. Ought we not walk in the fear of the God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? You remember, remember in the last chapter, Nehemiah prayed about being taunted. Uh, he, he said, Hear, O God, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Now, Nehemiah is saying, You guys are giving them reason to taunt us. They deserve to be taunting us for what we're doing. You know, it's, it's now our own people being plundered. You're the ones doing the plundering. You're, you're doing this plundering in, in plain sight, in plain view of, of our enemies. You know, they must really be enjoying seeing this, this spectacle. This is a good point, right? You know, the world is watching us. The, the enemy is going to use it, it, it against us when, when they see us mistreating each other. You know, James talks about people uh, biting and devouring each other. And, and, and these things ought not be. Nehemiah said, this is not good. This is not good. Jesus said, the world will watch you. They'll know that you're my disciples. They, they will know that you are people who are following me because you love one another. Why would anybody want to follow Jesus when they see his followers abusing each other? And and Nehemiah essentially says, you know, why would our enemies not jeer at us? We have made ourselves a a laughing stock to to the nations. Well, the third thing he calls for is repentance. In, In verse 10, he says, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest return to them this very day their fields their vineyards their olive orchards their houses and the percentage of money grain wine and oil that you've been exacting from them that's a tall order that's requiring that they sacrifice of their own goods on behalf of their their fellow jews He's saying, so we've done wrong. Let's make it good. Let's undo the harm that we've caused. You know, it'd be one thing just to say, oh, I'm so sorry that, that I did that and still keep sending the bill in the mail every every month for, for the interest. And uh, yeah, I like I love the response of the people. They didn't complain. They said, we will do it. We're going to restore them. We're going to require nothing from them and justify themselves. They, they, they didn't refuse. They said, we'll do it. We'll do as you say. And, and again, they did this at great cost to themselves. You know, this reminds me of his, uh, the, the story of Zacchaeus. Remember him? He was a tax collector who cheated people for who knows how long. In Luke 19.8, he said, after, you know, after an encounter with, with the Lord Jesus, he was changed. And he, he said, Behold, Lord, 
The half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone out of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Yeah, that's true repentance. Something real impressive is is the end of this, the last uh, six verses, I think, where it talks about Nehemiah. And what a great example he sets here. You know, at, at some point, Artaxerxes had appointed Nehemiah to become the governor, probably pretty early on. It says it was in the 20th year, year of Artaxerxes the king, uh, which was the same year the king sent him. So, you know, it was at this time he says, uh, neither I, from this time, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. You know, Nehemiah was obviously pretty uh, well blessed materially because of his position. And one of, the, one of the big fringe benefits that he was entitled to was this huge food allowance. His, his predecessors, the governors who had ruled before him, it says, took the ration, which laid a very heavy burden on the people, Nehemiah refused to take this ration. He, yet he provided for 150 people at his table every day from his own pocket. What does it say? Each day was one ox and uh, six sheep and birds. Every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. That, that's a lot of food. Uh, I remember when our kids reached their, their teenage years, we, our, our bill went way up. And... You know, part of it was because they ate so much, but another part of it was all the people they brought to our table with them. You know, so sometimes our, our food bill would be, seemed like twice what it was normally, and we'd wonder, what, what's going on here? You know, it's all these people at our table. But we didn't have 150. We didn't, we didn't have to slaughter an ox and, and six sheep, and we didn't... We didn't provide all these uh, bottles of wine in abundance either. Nehemiah could have taken the allowance. It, it was his entitlement. He had every right to do so, but he didn't. You know, this reminds me of uh, James Dobson. You all know who James Dobson is, Focus on the Family, when we lived in Colorado Springs. They were right up the road from us. And um, when he was the president of Focus on the Family, he did not take a salary. He, he earned his living from the books he sold, pretty much. It may be from speaking engagements, but um, he did not take a salary. When, um, when there was any airtime expense to boost one of his books or something, he would reimburse them for, for that airtime. Uh, when books are specially offered on air, uh, Dobson waived all the royalties for for those books. Uh, you know, is that at that time a lot of broadcast ministries were really uh, in, embroiled in scandal over uh, financial issues. Uh, but Focus on the Family made a point. I remember they made a point of saying that Dobson has no limousines or airplanes or, or condos in Hawaii. You know, he, he modeled this same kind of generosity that, that Nehemiah did. You know, he, he was blessed financially, but he blessed the, the, the people so as not to uh, burden anybody else. So Nehemiah laid down his rights for his brothers and sisters. Very important point. You know, this is, 
This is the attitude that Paul talks about in Philippians 2.4, where he says that, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, just like Jesus did. And, you know, God, God blesses us so that we can bless others. Very good example here. Let me wrap this up. You know, the internal conflict was brought on by people taking advantage of their, their brothers and sisters who were struggling. In violation of God's command, it was wrong. Nehemiah pointed, it out, pointed out that it was a lack of reverence for God. It also showed a lack of, of love towards others. And you know, Jesus said in Matthew 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When we, when we fail God in this regard and when we fail others not loving as we ought, you know, might we be the people who quickly confess and repent and make it good? Um, you know, thinking about this 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 last week, uh, internal conflict is something that can creep up on us. You know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily just just happen all of a sudden. You know, it, be, it becomes big once you know if we if we let the small things go unchecked you know if um if i put the emphasis on me my desires and i put that above other people's desires and i become a a a control freak my way is right i'm always right Uh, we can't do that none of us can we need to look to the uh, affairs, the interests of our, our brothers and sisters. You know, the biblical principle is that, that we put others above our own selves. Uh, big conflicts can begin as small desires. And so might we be the kind of people in this church who put others first, who lay down our lives and our rights for each other, just, just as Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we, uh, we praise you for your great love for us, your amazing love. Uh, we, we worship you, Lord. Uh, you're our, our Father. You're our, our, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Provider. Uh, you, you've, you've blessed us, Lord, beyond measure. You've given us so much more than we could even think to ask for. Uh, Lord, incline our hearts towards you. Fill us with your love for, for you and for one another, Lord. Give us a sacrificial love, a love that truly puts others' needs before our own. Lord, thank you for your church, our church that you've put us in. Lord, use us use us as a, a witness to, to those around us, Lord, that they would see the love that we have for each other and say, I want that. I want that. 
So we, we thank you, Lord. We, we praise you for who you are, for, for what you've done. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.